0: hello and welcome to the green majority podcast thank you so much for downloading and listening uh, to our podcast uh in the spirit i guess of uh it suddenly being warmer we're feeling like we want to be better people <laughs> so stefan and i makes sort of good old green majority version of an attempt to have a positive show this week enjoy that uh if you enjoy the show consider becoming a member you can do that at patreon which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash green majority and you can be a member the recommended membership is five dollars if you really really love us or say you have a good job perhaps more likely being the case uh you can uh, do ten dollars uh but you can also just leave us a tip for as little as one dollar if you want to just uh you know say hey i don't have a lot of money but i do support what you guys do we would really appreciate it please consider doing that. But without further delay, please enjoy the show. Welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, I'm your host, Saren Kaster. That's who you are. I'm here with Stefan and I it don't. feels so lonely because not only is it just Stefan and i today well i have my tech here but as far as hosts uh, going it's just you and i uh but because i'm teching on my own show today uh worth we're, 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 st- we're two people speaking through a pane of glass it's yes exactly
1: online. yeah it's, i i have the whole room to myself i have so many room for activities yeah Stefan has his feet up or will soon <laughs> uh
0: so uh, normal show though despite the uh despite the lack of guests today um i'm going to be talking a little bit later about some oil news we have obviously some details about uh carbon plans and pricing and more whining from Brad Wall coming up later. Uh, I'm going to be taking a little bit about pipeline spills and also uh, I might throw in there just for some flavor uh, a little bit about uh, the end of cars. Uh, interesting article predicting uh, n- not just when cars will end, of course, uh, but cars as we know them. I should be more specific. Yes. Um, but when? Predictions, Ooh. not mine, but other people's. Yes, so therefore that gets me off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what you are looking for, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so before uh, we do that, however, that's going to come up a little bit later. Where uh, Stephen and I are going to alternate it here a little bit. Um, so take it away, Stefan. You are going to start us off. Uh, you want to just introduce what you, the, the couple stories you are going to cover and then get right into it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually, I am actually, I actually have a, a bit about the the end of cars as well, but more of a it will, it will lead into, I think, uh, what what you'll get it to at the end. Um, basically, the the glory of live radio. Uh, as I was explaining uh, to to Megan our tech, uh, as as we is that occasionally on your way to do the show, you are given the perfect intro to what you are going to talk about. It's not always. Uh, and, you know, I woke, I, th- I thought I, I thought I had the intro when I, I woke up, and and the street that I live on is like a you know it's a it's a downtown Toronto street. It's 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 like it's you know it's it's. It's not a very good street, as I'll describe in half a second, uh, but it's only two lanes. And I walk it. and it is jam-packed with cars going north, and I hop on my bike, and I ride around them, and I'm just sort of confused as to why so many people are driving on this completely non-useful artery road in the middle of the city uh, at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. And and then, you know, and then you know, everyone else who is not in a car, is not trapped by this thing, uh, is, uh, is, is, is fine. Um, and... And and I thought that was the perfect intro, but I got a better one. Uh, but you want to jump in?
0: No, no. I was just going to say uh, um, that uh, your your car and bike stories are one of those things where I think it, it's you're you're about to pota- potentially uh, retrace your your offhand vegan comment steps, here. <laughs> uh, just because uh, car, car and uh, car. Yeah, it's, it's true.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it, a, it's a
0: delicate topic, and we're getting into bike season, so I don't, just be prepared for the emails. That's oh, I,
1: I am I am I am ready for them. Uh, because here's the thing: this is this was a this was the imperfect intro to the to the story, which is basically on my way here uh there's a street in toronto named mccall street it uh, and it's it is for those of you who are not here perhaps the worst biking made street in the history of if anyone wants to make a street less friendly to biking except maybe with massive cobblestones i could not i could i dare you try to find a better one uh because it's it's one of the streets it's four it's it's it's, it's "Quote unquote four lanes, except two lanes are constantly covered with with uh, with, with parked cars, and then there's a slightly raised and totally now falling apart uh, streetcar tracks uh, on on the actual only two lanes. So you spend your entire time either biking, you're either on the edge trying to deal with this very small area between the cars and the streetcar tracks, or you're in the middle acting like a car. And and on my way here, I was I, I, was, I find myself on such on said street, even though I tried to avoid as much as possible, uh, and." And enter An inter- intersection, massive truck beside me, can't can't hang out. In there, so I decide to act like a car, which is totally within my rights. As I cross the intersection, uh, I get a honk from the car behind me, uh, and so I uh, so I pull over as a nice gentleman might. Uh, and the passenger rolls down the window uh, and very unpleasantly tells me to get out of the lane. It's not it's, it's radio, so I can't say what he exactly said to me. You're paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. Told me to get out of out of their way. Um. And again, this is too, uh, under a street that's. I'm basically now just driving directly beside parked cars and a weird ledge. This is not a very safe place to bike. But the glory of McCall Street is it is slow for everyone. So the rest of the way, I I, I biked directly beside this car and eventually actually patched the car and turned onto the, onto, the, onto, onto the next road. And the entire time, just laughing to myself that here's this car so certain that we, the bikers, are in their way and that we, the people who are you know, don't have their amazing vehicles, can't possibly go as fast as they can on this small side. So you're not realizing that downtown Toronto is not a place where cars are, uh, are going to necessarily go faster. I'm going to joke. Uh, previously, when I was I was on I was in a, I was in a march like an actual protest march uh, on on Queen Street, uh, which is another uh, sort of a east west or two their road. I made a joke uh, to the person I was walking with. Actually, it was it was it was our old co host Kevin Farmer about how this was the fastest any this group of people have ever moved along Queen Street. You know there 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 were thousands of us moving at a generally five three to four kilometer pace. This is the fastest anyone's moved along Queen Street. Um, But suffice suffice to say, all of this is to say that there remains a belief system, I think, amongst the people who are, you know, whether these are the the oil giants of the world uh, or anything else, that they remain the future. They they are the current and the future and renewable energy and any sort of green technology or any sort of green actions are really just in their way. Uh, And they would like us to get out. Uh, and, and this, this, this is, and this, this brings me to the today's topic, which is not so fast. Basically, let's, let's look at the numbers. Let's see where we're headed. And maybe random man in car who yells at you, uh, is not so correct about where the future is headed or the speed at which they themselves are going in their fossil fuel powered engine.
0: I'm pretty sure a famous person once said something to the extent of let he who is without seatbelts cast the first. (laughs) I I think that's how that went.
1: That is fair. And, you know, like, um, and so, here we are. Uh, and so, this, basically what I'm talking about is, is that there's a bunch of stories right now actually about different growths of renewable power and also transportation uh, and, and where we stand and where we're headed, basically. Um, and so, a bunch of stories came out actually this week uh, about the different ways uh, that renewable energy is, 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 is growing uh, and, and, and perhaps the most interesting one is from the Financial Times, which is, you know, one, the kind of thing where you have to like, it's like it is the almost one of the more quintessential sort of hoity-toity business uh, uh, experiences. Uh, you know, you have to pay. You know, it's ludicrously expensive to actually get to the Financial Times. Uh, and so this was happened to one of their free articles probably because they knew it would be shared. Uh, and so I read this particular one. Um, but it was all about whether or not is this is the renewable energy boom uh, for good. Uh, and then that combines with a, story, with a bunch of other stories. So I'm going to weave in and out just talking about sort of where we stand with renewable energy right now um, and, uh, and then also how that actually dovetails also with transportation. So where do we stand with renewable energy right now? Uh, we've said a bunch of these numbers before, but, there's these, but what's great about this is there's some specific examples uh, that I think help sort of say what's up. Uh, the first, obviously, that there remains to be strong growth. Uh, which I know sounds super economic term, but that's you know the, the growth of uh, of, uh, of of renewable energies is, remains uh, impressive. You know the, the global renewable power generation capacity rose by nine percent last year, and it's it, it is it is impre- increased four hundred percent since since the turn of the century. Um, you know for the second year in a row, renewable energy accounted for more than half of the new power generation uh, capacity added worldwide. Uh, you know and and. And it's happening uh, – this is all happening while fossil fuels remain to get more subsidies than renewable energy. Still, the renewable energy mar- subsidies market, as, as much as all the conservatives like to like to bemoan it, is still less globally uh, than fossil fuels. Um, and and yet, yet, we see this growth. Uh, and, and, and what's interesting is that the growth is not only uh, strong, it's faster than anticipated. Uh, so in 2010, uh, the National Energy Agency uh, projected that it could take about 14 years uh, to get 180 gigawatts of installed solar capacity. It took it in, it took less than seven years uh, for the world to reach more than 290 gigawatts. So that is an extra 110 gigawatts in half the time. Uh, and this is you know these are predictions that were you know based off of what they thought. Of it. And so. I say that in part because there are a bunch of other numbers and if you talk to some, a, a skeptic, you'll get a bunch of things like, well, actually, you know, it's, it's still a very small percentage of the global scale. Uh, it usually took, it took like 60 years to transition from wood to coal and all this other stuff like that. But, uh, th- so all is to say that they are currently beating, uh, renewable energy is currently beating projections. Um, and so take the new proge- projections uh, that, uh, that you hear with a grain of salt, perhaps because uh, if, if, if it keeps beating them, then per, perhaps resume higher. But so I go, what I want to get into is sort of what this sort of growth and what this sort of shift looks like in case studies, because uh, I think that helps picture it a little bit better. Um, and the number one way – so there's two major shifts, I think, uh, in, in renewable energy. The first is just the amount of which uh, the more gen- general grid growth is occurring uh and this is really being pushed by you know by china uh by india uh and 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 by sort of the and you know europe's already sort of leading the game there as it has been for quite some time but china and india are sort of the actual growth we're seeing is is largely coming from those places um as well as some parts of the united states um but this and this is grid growth specifically and you know this is things like like china china's influence on this is is astronomical you know they China is, China is now the world's largest backer of green energy and accounts for 17% of global investment. This is one country, 17% of global investment. I uh, it's a very large country, so it's, it maybe matches it, but still. Uh, like it's, it's a massive percentage, uh, in 2016, uh, it canceled 103 under construction and planned coal fire power plants, uh, which is a total of 120 gigawatt hours of capacity. And then in March, they canceled another 50 gigawatts, uh, said, and and, and they announced another 50 gigawatts, whether it be shut down or postponed. Um, and so that's 170 gigawatts of power, uh, of coal power specifically, that China is now shifting uh, either, f- either through an attempt to actually reduce their consumption or into renewables. And to give you a sense of how much power that is, that's enough, power, it's enough pa- coal power com- capacity. Uh, it's the equivalent coal, paci- c- coal power capacity of the UK and Spain. So this is a large amount of, of – of, uh, this, this, this a, a, a very, very large amount of coal coming off no, – not coming off-grid because it actually didn't even create it, staying off-grid, shall we say. and And then trying to like, – yeah, like you can't really understand it. How, how what china's doing right now it ha- also has the third of the world's wind power capacity a quarter of its solar ca- power capacity six of the top 10 pa- solar panel makers four of the top 10 w- wind turbine makers and more battery only electric car sales last year than the rest of the world combined like this is a massive shift in a in a place that has a billion people um and that generally um is the story of the sort of more grid shift the 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 reduction from coal to to other things and and that's sort of the that's the, that's what we're seeing in renewable energy in that sort of when we we're, when we're talking about reducing coal power plants or reducing energy reducing the big reductions, I would say, in uh, in fossil fuel use f- to switch into to switch into in, into other electric other electricity options, especially renewables. A lot of that's happening, being driven by these by by China uh, and the demand, uh, really from from China, India, and other parts of the United States, but mostly China,
0: Can I just jump in for a second? So uh, one of the things I've been thinking about sort of the whole time you're tapping in, people will have to forgive, as usual, a brief detour here. But uh, there's a a lot of things where, you know, a lot of time what we'll hear is – well, you know, what does that matter? That's just one plant. Or what does that matter? That's just, you know, one company did one thing. Why are you making such a big deal about it? You know, that could be an anomaly or, you know, that well one plant isn't going to make a difference, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's cause and effect, right? And so, like, trends are changing. And so that's why, like, even another story, I I, unfortunately, I don't have the link here um, in front of me, but I, at some point over the last week, uh, something crossed my desk. You, you may even be about to talk about it for all I know because we don't always have all time to share everything with each other before the show, uh, is the... Um, uh, like a whole bunch of uh, divestment of certain things. And oh, no, of course, you, sorry, you were talking about the uh, the India coal plant, which is the one mm-hmm. that uh, I was thinking of in the minute there. Um, but the like it's this like long term chain of events. Right. And so like we'll be like, oh, well, OK, well, this will happen. And then two weeks later, we'll be surprised. to be like, oh, well, somebody else. Wow. Somebody else pulled it We weren't expecting all these companies to make this decision at the same time, but they don't. That's not what happens. Right. What happens is one person makes a calculation makes a decision that decision now affects the the board state if you will (laughs) i can't help but use uh game metaphors we'll stick to board games today as far as metaphors uh but it changes the board state right it changes it changes the atmosphere in which other people make decisions and that's why um that's why the divest movement is is valid that's why that's why these single companies making these single decisions are are valid now this is obviously a very very large example which could have very large shock waves obviously and a very in very large consequences but these are all changes in board state if you will they're all things that change the environment in which future decisions get made and that's why i think it is worth you know although it's impossible for for us to cover every single one of these stories i, I we would do it just in an energy sector show and mm-hmm. i could fill an hour with these types of stories uh but the reason we always stick them in there is because they change the if you will the game state the the mm-hmm. game of trying to beat climate change they change the board state and they change all the future decisions that other people will make right yeah. and they'll, they'll has these like cascading effects is what i'm trying to say
1: yeah and and i and also it's not a surprise when one and then another one happens because everyone exists in the same World, right? So, like, you know, everyone has the same kind of pressures. You, you experience, you know, especially, especially what's happening in uh, in India and China right now. A lot of the, a lot of the push towards towards solar uh, or wind or, or renewable energy is is actually to reduce pollution in the big cities, rather than necessarily, uh, you know, it's it, it, rather than necessarily sort of just just climate change. Um, but so that's so that's the one uh, side of it. The second uh, piece I want to I want to get in right before the break um, is. The secondary switch we're seeing uh, in, in – and it's happening – interesting. It's happening in everywhere. It's happening in both uh, developed nations um, and, uh, and, also, and, and also it's actually also being a leapfrog technology uh, in, in, in sort of, say, less developed nations, which is people are shifting off-grid. Off uh, the shift off-grid is actually happening in a way that people didn't expect um, or they, if they expected, they didn't th- maybe they didn't think it was going to happen so soon, and it's happening everywhere. Uh, so a few examples of this is that you know in Nevada, uh, the state energy uh, utility lost six percent of its customer base almost, uh, you know, almost overnight. Not exactly, but almost overnight. When uh, MGM Resorts and Win Resorts uh, both uh, left, they basically they 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 agreed to some deal to get out of having to with this util- with utility and instead incited specifically the drop- dramatic drop in price of un- renewable energy, uh, as, as the reason they're doing this. And so, and, and this is being seen also in Japan, uh, where, where because of earthquakes, uh, often if a big earthquake happens, they actually lose a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of places go out without power. Uh, and they are again, switching to this sort of smaller state, uh, more localized type of, of production. Uh, and, uh, and same thing in Australia In Australia household electricity prices have doubled. And you know us in Ontario can I'm sure feel to some extent the the pain of 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 increased energy prices. Um and and uh, doubled it up the decade of up to 2014, and rooftop solar uh became uh again suddenly that that they, that started to become really popular. Uh and and it's, they have been like they have sold 6,700 battery systems were sold last year uh, up from 500 the year before. Uh, And, and by 2020, they expect a million homes to have batteries uh, according to Morgan Stanley analysts. And so again, this is a shift towards moving somewhat off grid. Maybe you'll you'll probably still be attached to the grid, but you'll be supplementing your own power. Uh, You'll be providing this new system of, of dispersed power grids. and, And all of this is a part of this large shift. Each one of these things is a different piece of it. It It's quite likely that you'll end up seeing state utilities power fewer and fewer homes uh, and fewer and fewer residences because of this growing growing trend towards renewables, especially in places that get a lot of sun. Now, just before we go to break,
0: Stefan, uh, you said the word "power grid" there. For some reason, it's, it's causing me the I'm having this flashback. What what is it? Uh, about
1: I think that? I think, I believe that uh, maybe later today, probably later today, we will release uh, our latest. Uh, this is what's funny about this is I didn't even realize the connection of anything I was saying <laughs> until I got to like literally the last second of the like basically before you jumped in. Uh, but yeah, we have our next climate cartoons, which uh, again is a, uh, illustrated by my brother Dave. Thanks so much, Dave, um, and uh, and wonderfully voiced by you. Thanks So much, Sharon. Thanks me. (laughs) Thanks me. Um, And uh, about about what our energy grid system looks like today uh, and why it's problematic. Basically, it's like, hey, this is what our energy system is like today. It's about three minutes. The the goal, the point is, you can you can sort of share it with people who want to know a little bit more. It tries to get into a bit of the nuance and difficulties that we experience managing our current energy grid, uh, and then sort of teases what the future could be, which is the next one, uh, which really will look like this dispersed solar energy grid. and and so yeah. So later today, go to GreenMajority.ca to check out the check out the wonderful uh, and most excellent uh, next climb cartoon. It's I think it's number five. So you can go the whole series yeah. uh, and experience the the wonders that are uh, wonders that is our current energy system and. And soon, what the future could look like.
0: Yeah, and uh, for those of you who are interested, may not realize I do a number of voices. The this is my like radio voice. It's also it's also partially my half asleep voice. <laughs> uh, if you want to sound with my uh, trying to sound enthusiastic and actually fully alert voices, you might be surprised. It's actually quite cheery. Mm-hmm. It's not what you are expecting if you're listening to the show. <laughs> so cheery. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I'd say genuinely because I'm fully awake by that point. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's interesting. <laughs> we'll do yeah,
1: that exactly. And yeah, it, so. The, the, to wrap up this, this piece is that we, you please pay attention to what's happening in renewable energy right now uh, and expect that, again, there will be some hiccups unquestionably, but uh, there's a bunch of cool stuff. And in, after we come back from the break, I'm going to talk about transportation uh, and also uh, perhaps explain the a little bit some of the other cool technologies coming out like uh, Tesla's roof, uh, solar roof.
0: Yeah. And That's I'm going to I'm going to p- put some uh, some rain on that parade by talking a little bit about CSIS uh, this is so as well. Fun. But uh, <laughs> well, you know, we can't we can't get people too high here, Stefan. All right. All right. got to keep them baselined. All right. Megan's going to jump in now before I completely talk through our music break time and tell us what we're going to listen to. Go ahead. Megan. All right. We're back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT, uh, CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, let me take a, a quick moment here. Uh, Aside from thanking uh, not just CIUT, but our wonderful uh, community partners as well, all our listeners and especially all those podcasters, because they uh, did the hard work of clicking on a link. (laughs) So the things automatically download for them. Mm. Good for you. Congratulations. You won today. Uh, Before we do that, I also want to quickly thank uh, very much. uh, Just very briefly here. uh, Last week was our CIUT fundraising show. Uh, It went well. Thank you very much for everyone who uh, called in use the interwebs uh if you sent a check by mail we'll get it sometime in 2020 maybe uh 2020 sometime (laughs) but we still
1: appreciate the we
0: will appreciate it uh we'll pre-thank you for mailing that in
1: although to be Um, fair that's so much more work
0: and apparently, although I haven't, I have to say, uh, I, I haven't personally received confirmation, so I don't know if this is true. We heard a rumor that possibly somebody took me up on my intended to be a veiled threat to uh, tech their show if they did the $500 donation. <laughs> I heard a rumor that someone might have actually called in and done that. Uh, if you uh, uh, if you did that and you heard, uh, they haven't co- uh, connected us yet, so I'm not ignoring you. I do intend to follow through on it, even though I didn't uh, seriously expect anyone to do that at the time, uh, and we'll be in touch and thank you. Uh, so, with that, uh, so i I'm going to I want to just talk about uh, something really quick here, just trying to space it up because it's just Stefan and I will try and mix up the voices here a little bit, um, which was just there was uh, this was the thing I was talking about, which is uh, a, a U.S. report talking about petrol calls, uh, petrol cars being obsolete in eight uh, years Um the forecast is by uh, Stanford University economist uh, Tony Siba, and uh, he produced a full report uh, with uh, metrics and data. So this isn't uh, like an opinion piece uh, written. It's a study. Still doesn't mean it's for sure, obviously, um, but it has a little bit more veracity than you know something that somebody wrote in huffington post for instance um and yes i do have a bit of a hate on for huffington post about 52 percent of the time (laughs) uh but the idea is that people stop driving altogether uh and is that the uh combination of uh cost of fossil fuel uh the uh price coming down of uh ev cars and uh auto drive technology um sort of culminating in a three-way hit that will essentially just uh reduce cars i would add to that a few things obviously i, we, I don't have the report i just sort of had a news article about the report uh not and didn't have time to read the full report itself but i think it's i would actually add a few things to that as well and I'm, I'm sure in the actual report he he mentions this as well but just uh like congestion in cities things like congestion charges are uh being considered you know a lot of some of these places are moving slower or faster but uh, we're finding as you were saying and as i guess maybe you might even just sort of after the fact you become the uh, unofficial theme of the show is that sort of like whether or not people take climate change or environment issues seriously um eventually this stuff just kind of just happens and that that shouldn't be taken as an excuse because often things can happen too late and therefore not we cannot reap the benefits the full benefits that would have been had of doing those things sooner uh so that's certainly not a call to like don't worry about it uh but at the same point. Uh but, and also because sometimes those things happen inevitably because eventually politicians just get tired of being yelled at, so that's mm-hmm. again, do not read that as a you know don't worry, it's all good, you know, go relax yeah, uh but at the same point um. It's, some of this stuff is inevitable and that the really the conversation is we're having is about the speed at which it's happening. And uh, a, that's a positive thing a, because uh, I'm just not a fan of cars. I think they are stupid way to move people around. Um, especially now that there's, you know, approaching 7 billion people on the Earth, uh, planet. Um, so yes, I am biased, uh, but at the same point, Uh, I just think that this is it's just better for cities. I think people are going to once, you know, EV vehicles are uh, there and and self-driving technology is sort of everywhere, as it will inevitably be. Uh, I don't know. I think, I, I mean, I think a lot of the reason people feel so inextricably linked to their cars is for a couple of reasons. One, because it's uh, in the minds, you know, people live 80 years, we still have a lot of people who are there pre internet, uh, I'm technically pre internet, <laughs> although not as an adult, but as a, you know, as a, I was alive pre internet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different world. And I think all the people that are just like, this was very much part of their identity. There's that whole romanticized thing about the American uh, dream quote-unquote that that uh, you know many other countries have culturally tried to sort of emulate in one way or another and i just think that there is this whole romantic image of the car in the same way that we don't you know you don't see smoking in films anymore mm. uh, and now people are generally shunned for smoking in most situations i find at least in toronto here yeah um you know there's still a lot of smokers but it's not like cool mm-hmm. um my one's vaping now yeah well and i <laughs> so there you go vaping's cool smoking's not <laughs> oh, okay um but uh, you get it straight, Stephen. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, I just I feel like when you lose that because there's no there's no, now cars, people, young people who are growing up today, see cars if at best as a tool. Um, and I think if, if not outright identifying and making that connection of the dots between, you know, petrol cars, at the very least, and and climate change. And with that sort of the loss of the romanticism of the car, I think as a concept, as a cultural concept. Uh, I think these things will, in fact, happen much quicker, uh, not necessarily much quicker than the eight years predicted by this report. Maybe that may, means that I think that this eight years is probably less extreme sounding than than other people might believe. But definitely a lot sooner than a lot of people think, I believe, because the people, people who are part of that generation that well, of course, I need a car. Are there is like, you know, well, also, that's only because we don't have good public transportation. Right. So once these other all these other available opportunities come on, in- inevitably, because cities have to do it, they have no choice. Right. There, there just simply aren't enough spaces for all these cars um i i don't know i feel like like uh climate change it's gonna you know nothing will happen until it's too late and then things will happen very quickly um which again doesn't make necessarily solve the problem but i think it, it does it's it's a warning that things are going to change and and the last thing i'll say about that is that you know when we're making decisions about city planning whether you're in toronto or in vancouver or if you're in uh um uh edmonton or wherever you might happen to be um that these things are inevitable and uh so even if you aren't the government planning on or the voter voting for a government who's not planning on implementing these policies at this time when you're making decisions that have a 10 15 20 and 25 year time horizon you need to take this into account and uh, if the politicians aren't going to do it because they're incentivized to think on you know two and four and six year time scales uh the voters have to Mm-hmm. And make sure you ask those those questions. You know, what are the implications of this thing you're proposing twenty years from now? Uh, because, surprise, most of us will still be alive. <laughs> Stefan.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think. Hey, I actually have a couple examples because I'm talking about electric vehicles right now. That's my. Well, t- technically, I'm talking about transportation generally, mm-hmm. uh, and so. To, to with the two, so one of the stories is actually is a very quick story because uh, it's hasn't even been announced yet, but it's going to be announced. Uh, is that uh, later today? It's expected that Ontario, uh, the that Premier Wynne, uh, is going to announce a that they are committed to a high speed rail from Toronto to Windsor and Kitchener, London, um, and which is great. Uh, I think. That'd be amazing. Uh, it's a nineteen billion dollar price tag.
0: Sorry, is that a one way train or a two way train? Yeah,
1: uh, you, know, you can only go to Windsor. Actually, it's just it's just Toronto to Windsor. Uh, it's a Windsor population strategy. The point is just to get people to go to Windsor. Uh, it's actually entirely financed by the city of Windsor to get people to go there. Um, but no, uh, I, I believe again they haven't announced it yet. I think it's supposed to go both directions. Uh, I would I would hope. Uh, but who knows, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they can cut the cost in half uh, and then it'll be, it'll just be a about ten billion one one-way train. Uh, and then you can just, you know, walk back. Uh, but no, presumably we're going both directions. Um, but I yeah, high-speed rail is one of those things that is consistently sort of cited as it's required infrastructure. It's required future infrastructure, uh, mainly because we do not have a way to, uh, to make uh, flight in any way sustainable uh, right now, if, if you look at people, if you look at your carbon footprint uh, and you're a generally uh, environmentally conscious uh, city dweller, your massive footprint is almost entirely due to the fact that you fly two places a year. Uh, and that still puts you above the global average, like just flying twice a year is enough to put you above the global average, um, even if you do everything else right. Uh, and so high-speed rail is really one of those things which uh, is required if we're going to be in a world that is that is carbon neutral.
0: Flying with planes somewhat similar to flying with bedsheets, uh, ultimately unsustainable despite their initial thrill.
1: <laughs> Just, yeah, lo- different timescales, but same idea. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so so that's going to be announced. Uh, it's exciting that it's going to be happening. Oh, like, again, I say it's going to be happening as if, A government saying they're going to look into something and start doing preliminary planning is them doing it. Uh, It would be great if they did it, shall we say. Uh, It's about they're putting about uh, like like something like a a couple hundred million dollars into into an environmental assessment. So this is one of those things where it's like, if this happens, this would be amazing because we desperately need high speed rail. Uh, But if you hold your breath starting right now, you will definitely not make it. Um, But on the electrical vehicle front, there is some better news. Um, which is that you know again it is it, similar to the in similar to the to the discussion that we were just having about renewable energy, it is growing at a rate that no one really expected. Um, although is actually is not did not meet a, a couple of predictions that were made. Uh, one at some point Obama made an argument that the United States could be the first country to have a million uh, renew, a million. In fully electric vehicles and made it to like 400,000 within the time frame he gave it to. So it's, it's not growing to the same extent renewable energy is, uh, or perhaps that he just wasn't at, it wasn't at that growth stage yet. Perhaps we're getting closer now, and I think we are. Um, but it's still, you know, 42 – sales of electric, plug-in vehicles were 42% higher in 2016 than 2015. Uh, and it, and the, more important, I think, it, they were growing eight times faster than the overall market. I think that's the piece that matters to some extent. Is that the that sales in electric vehicles are growing at a rate dramatically faster than non-electric vehicles, which also makes it seem, which also lets you gives you a sense of that this the growth rate of um, of not of combustion-based vehicles is actually to some extent slowing, um, or at least is 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 not doing as well, shall we say, despite the fact that there's still more and more people on this planet, and and so that's good news. Uh, But perhaps something more interesting. Good news, and something again going back to a case study. This is again from the Financial Times uh, because their one free article was helpful to me. um, Was that they they tell a story about a car parts supplier called Borg Warner, and what I love about partially what I love about the story is that it reminds you how many things exist in this world that you never would presume you needed to know. Um, and 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 how complex this world really is. That there can be this massive. And Borg Warner is a very large company. Uh, so large that it was able. Uh, it was able to pay nine hundred and fifty million dollars in cash uh, for U.S. electric motor maker Remy International. So this is a company that is able to basically drop a billion dollars by another company. I bet you, unless you are really into cars, you've never heard of Borg Warner before. Um and it's you know it's because they they make money selling components for conventional combustion engine vehicles. There's no reason, yes I have to know this. Um and it's an 89-year-old company and this is one of the largest acquisitions it's ever made. And what's interesting is two things. One, uh Perhaps apparently, people uh, who follow Borg Warner or own their shares are similar to the fellow was driving, uh, who is in the passenger seat of the car behind me this morning, thinking that well, combustion engines will always rule the world because shares dropped when they bought this. Uh, perhaps not as much, shares did not drop as much as when uh, as when the airline company decided to raise its raise, raise the what was it uh, raise the minimum wage would pay its workers uh, and that not maybe not that far. Uh, which is a depressing thing about capitalism. Uh, But anyways, uh, but they did drop. Uh, But in response to that, and I think this is interesting, uh, that, again, this is the head of global auto research for Morgan Stanley. Again, these are like, it's amazing how many people exist and how how complex this world is. Uh, But Adam Jonas is the head of global auto research at Morgan Stanley uh, defended the deal. Uh, and said that without this, without Remy the uh, the inter- Remy International, which is the electric car motor maker, uh, the narrative of their long term value would have been difficult to justify. Which is interesting, right? Here is a company that has, for 89 years, made of combustion engines, 89 years, and now suddenly uh, they they can't justify their existence uh, without without some sort of move towards towards electric cars or electric vehicles, and. It's interesting that that is an argument that can be made for car manufacturers, and yet we don't really hear that right now about oil. And yet the only thing that's propping, like you know, if if if, you, if in eight years we're driving electric, suddenly, suddenly you know these oil companies are suddenly not looking so great. Especially someone like Shell, who well, we who their CEO a couple of years ago said that they expected to be exactly as exact, that oil would be exactly as needed now as in 2040 uh, because because of the growth in other markets. And man, you know, if 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 this if this stuff is right and if you actually get to see that transition, suddenly oil stocks are going to have a have a bit of a bit of a dent. So maybe maybe listen to divestment. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And uh, this will carry forward, I think, into into the the last section here a little bit. But this it seemed like an appropriate place to stick in. Well, like one little detail, um, which is uh, I was reading up on one of the uh, other stories here, which has to do um, with the uh, uh taxpayer loans uh be given out to fund uh the cleanup of all of i believe thousands i'll, I'll get to it when we actually get to the story i'll get more into that but the detail uh, of dirty wells sorry that that have been uh, not cleaned up um oh, we'll get into that story when i come back from the break but the one thing i learned from that was uh, something uh, something i was not familiar with which is called the redwater energy decision which gave uh secured creditors priority over environmental cleanup in the case of an energy bankruptcy now well, why is that relevant well again, we'll, uh, I'll get into the story about wh- where that came from uh, after the break, but this is sort of what we're talking about with like policy priming having implications. I don't necessarily on the face of it, if we're not looking at policy implications on the face of it, I would say that bankruptcy is not the time to be taking the money for Cleanup. So I, I'm actually in isolation with without considering any of its knockoff effects. I'm actually fine with that decision. The problem is, is, that nothing happens in isolation. And what you're telling people is, the shareholders have influence over a publicly traded company. They're essentially the owners. They're the owners. They're shareholders. <laughs> That's what that means. So what you're doing in the case? Okay. So you know, time has stopped, and you and the and you just fast forward to this thing, which is company goes bankrupt somebody gets paid out yeah i think the shareholders should be compensated and you should say well the company shouldn't out of business but that blah, blah blah but the point is is that if you if you don't consider it from that moment in time if you consider it the say the moment in time is from then forward is if you had it if you had it the other way around for future bankruptcies and while the well the shareholders still had an opportunity to exercise Uh, influence on that company and you made the decision the other way around and you said no every drop of every well will be cleaned up until you guys get one dime they're going to then change how that company functions so that there isn't billions of dollars worth of cleanup to be done and so essentially well in isolation without considering any implications i'm actually i generally would agree that the shareholders shouldn't be held responsible for for something like that but unfortunately you have to you have to do that so that they never end up with this situation in the first place, and and so we'll come back to the story about why that's relevant. But it's just well, like one of these things where it's like people are looking at things in isolation, and people are having a look that well, of course, shareholders shouldn't be. You know, why should why should the the cleanup be be done instead of the shareholders? Well, because th- things don't happen one at a time, and nothing else ever. And, uh, everything affects everything, and you have to look at it all
1: together. You have to look at these long term trends, and you have to look at the implications of policy. And, and can I just say that like. If you if you were if you understand yourself as an owner as a shareholder, uh, then you know if I own a part of a thing that like like in where in what other scenario does ownership not inquire liability? Ownership, like that's the point. That's the thing about ownership. Uh, unless you get, you know, you can get insurance, you can do other things to avoid liability. But in every other scenario, you know, if I own a dog and my dog bites you, I can't say, "Well, I didn't fully control the dog. I co. I, I should get compensation for the. I. I. I should get compensation for like no." Ownership is liability and the idea that you can get ownership and value without getting liability is ludicrous
0: privatize the profits and socialize the losses exactly and that's where it is so we'll take uh, our music break here Megan's gonna jump in again and tell us what we're gonna listen to uh, and then we'll be right back uh, to get uh, to dive a little bit deeper into that and we'll keep going with a couple other things as well we'll be right back you're listening to the green majority here's Megan and we are back listening to The Green Majority here on the CIUT 89.5 FM, one of our wonderful or very appreciated community radio partners or on our podcast, which you can find at greenmajority.ca. Uh, there is a bonus show after the show as well, which is now, uh, we recorded after the show usually. Uh, it's now being released on Mondays to give you guys something to uh, to get you through midweek to the to the next show uh, as well. Um, Stefan, have you decided what we're going to talk about uh, yet? There was a lot of options here, uh, a lot of fun options. I don't know if you'd uh, pick something.
1: Uh, I had not yet. I was going to, Sort of play it by ear, but you know, there's we could keep jamming on uh, on on whether or not we actually think petrol cars will be <laughs> obsolete in eight years, um, but that's that's a that's a even even as someone who is uh who is generally uh trying to be positive today seems like a bit much so uh i like and if we're if we are still on the show in eight years and it, it is true in eight years, you can come back and have an entire show saying i'm wrong that's so, fine
0: so i I have an idea then we have yeah. been generally more more or less fairly nice relatively yeah relatively. To other shows yeah, today. exactly uh, so how about we do we'll do the uh, Dubai uh, firm dreams of harvesting icebergs for water and make it very very salty Ah. Very salty, salty bonus show
1: today.
0: (laughs) Uh, All right. So look forward to that. Uh, uh, But leaving as much salt as possible for the rest of it. I'm just going to do this uh, frustrating news in a more cheery voice. I'll make it sound optimistic. That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, there's a story here. I I don't ostensibly have any problem with it. It's talking about uh, a National Observatory article titled Massive Taxpayer Loans to Fund Cleanup of Alberta's Energy and Abandoned Oil Wells. That's where we're talking a little bit uh, about uh, that, uh, the the legal decision, uh, which uh, made it uh, by law that uh, uh, shareholders uh, would be uh, re- uh, reimbursed uh, or compensated or paid out uh, before environmental concerns. Um, the, the story itself is about a, a, a what's titled as a massive taxpayer loan. Um, I, again, here uh, in isolation have no problem with this. The wells need to be cleaned up. They're not going to be cleaned up if they're not financed. And unlike some of my previous commentary uh, in this uh, realm. Uh, in this case, it is in fact a loan. Uh, I have no problem with that. Uh, there is an industry-funded group that's already set up um, that has put in thirty million dollars a year from the federal government. There's also thirty million dollars a year, which is going to be doubled uh, from industry groups to spend money on this. Essentially, they're just asking for like some startup financing to start getting uh, rolling on this. Uh, there are four hundred and fifty thousand oil and gas wells across Alberta alone nearly a third of which are considered abandoned or inactive. So this is a, uh, a very large problem, no matter how you slice it, uh, regardless of who should pay for it. In this case, again, it is ultimately going to be the oil companies, um, but just like aside from all of those things, let's just acknowledge that there's 450,000 abandoned uh, or sorry, 450,000 wells in Alberta and that uh, about a third of them are abandoned. I'm not even not even so much the abandoned ones, just that the fact that there's about half a million wells in Alberta are find shocking. Now, these might be, some of them might be the size of a doghouse for all I know. So, you know, not so much about that. What I wanted to, to point out here was not the fact that that happened. Uh, What I wanted to identify, uh, because I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's like that's news, but that's not like green majority news where we're like going to be like, these people are terrible. Here's what they did. And they're awful. Whatever. I don't honestly, I don't have a lot to say about that. What I do have a lot to say about as usual is messaging. Stefan, you know, this is one Mm -hmm. of my favorite topics. Um, The messaging here is just so painful. So. I'm quoting here uh, from the end of the uh, article uh, from Notley. It's a win for landowners, a win for the environment, and a win for industry, and a win for thousands of our Burtons who will benefit from the good jobs we're creating. Notley added, it's clear there will be a big liability pegged at $30.5 by the Alberta Energy Regulator uh, with the old wells. Uh, There's no getting by that, she said. The question is, how do we handle it in a way that's balanced and responsible? We look forward to making progress on that. Generally agree with almost everything. The only thing I can't stand is they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves pretend that abandoned wells that are abandoned and not cleaned up because companies went bankrupt and the shareholders got paid out instead of saving a single dollar for cleanup. Now the government is lending the money, which I'm fine with, to clean it up because it's poisoning people. And you're promoting it as jobs. What the <laughs> hell is It's like this is like a nervous tick. They just
1: can't help themselves. Jobster. <sighs> okay. To be fair, this is the actually this is the <sighs> this is actually the this is the ongoing example that we consistently come back to about the problems with GDP is literally this story. You know, <laughs> like literally the story is the idea of, of look, we poisoned the we poisoned a whole bunch of places, and our GDP will increase because we're gonna clean it up. Well, it's just I'm not like, okay. I'm
0: I'm against it because it's uh, I'm against it because it's gross. Really? Like I just I I don't even have like a serious like a political commentary point here. I mean, I don't think that that's how you should be promoting something like this. But I mean, you're getting into the weeds a little bit. Um, We've picked on Notley. I don't again, I don't really overall have any problem with this. I'm just like I feel like that the reason I'm pointing it at all is because a like it makes me feel a bit gross. Um, but also be like, they're not good jobs. You're cleaning up toxins. Yeah. Um, those aren't good jobs. Like just let's, let's raise the bar on what a good job is. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you're paid a hundred thousand dollars a year, I don't really care if it's like to clean up like medical waste. Right. That's not a good job. The fact that they're paid, you know, above average is not, that doesn't make that a
1: good job. And I think the other thing about it is it, it feeds into this larger conversation, um, or, or discussion about just, what uh, and, and, and and how we should expect governments to say words uh, you know like what's interesting about this about this is that if if we lived in a world in which governments felt like they could be open and honest with the public and not have everything expected is like, I feel like they felt like they were forced to pitch it this way because they would get attacked if they didn't if they were more honest and and it's because we as a public have decided that the government cannot say anything we bad ever, you know like we we will a hundred percent attack. Like, or like, as a society, you will see it over and over again. If someone's openly honest about a difficult scenario or a difficult position or something else like that, and they say something sort of glib, immediately that's the story. Yeah. And so we expect to be spoon-fed things like this, like the fact that we are creating amazing jobs, clamp toxic spills, and that will just go unquestioned in 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 the general public because it's like hey, yeah it's another thing but jobs sure whatever uh whereas if if you know if, if they had come out and been very much like this is a shame this happened these wells must be cleaned up we are taking this action to to and allow ourselves to do it and there's a knockoff benefit that some people you know like that some people will get paid at least to do this um It would be it would be a whole different thing. Suddenly, you know, suddenly she would be attacked for, you know, uh, vilifying the oil and gas industry or 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 being mean to the people who end up with these jobs or whatever. I wouldn't
0: I honestly wouldn't be shocked. And I don't even mean this in some like cloak and dagger. I'm like mad. Oh, collusion. Let's get out the pitchforks. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't care. I really don't but but I just but despite my not thinking it's like that big a deal because like it's politics and that's just how it works and we all know this and nobody's surprised and just like calm down but yeah. despite the cautionary tale about like the context in which I'm about to say this I extremely confident that someone instruct not instructed her like it's they're her boss but is in like they're in some industry meeting like okay when you're talking about this make sure you you don't just say there's jobs but you list that there's going to be 1167 jobs and that every single time any government employee says anything about this you must mention the jobs because mm-hmm. let it you know let, let there never be a news article about anything having to do with the oil industry that does has anything negative and if you have to say something negative sounding it must include the word jobs at least four times mm-hmm. He's, he's i just I I, I I i honestly i believe there you know there's uh, there was a meeting and they're talking about this stuff and they're like okay but just make sure here's the numbers and make sure you say all this stuff hmm. i don't even care that it happened i'm just confident that it happened <laughs> uh the uh the last thing uh i think probably to get to for me yeah we got about nine minutes left okay i don't, don't want to race too much here uh is uh, talking a little bit about uh, so brad wall is still digging his feet in uh here um about the Uh, price of pollution stuff threatening to take the government to court we've mentioned this a little bit what i feel i sort of feel like he's getting really desperate here though and i'm not sure um exactly what's going on so the the pricing is going to come up let's let's recap for everybody the pricing is coming up soon they're getting closer to numbers uh uh you know uh, the the specifics uh of exactly how much this or that's going to cost are still being worked out but they're they're getting pretty close the way it's set up is you put your own policy in place if you don't, or if we deem yours to be insufficient to meet our average targets about what we need to achieve together, then we will add something to yours. They're not even saying we're going to cancel your law and make our own. They're saying whatever you do, if it's not good enough, we're going to top it up. Right. So one of the examples uh, here that this again is coming from National Observer uh, article is um, that. So say you put a two dollar per liter uh, tax on gasoline and that's your climate change policy well they're not going to come in and like make a whole new policy they're going to say that's not good enough so you charge it, the province is charging you 2 dollars the federal the federal government in say Saskatchewan in this case is going to do another 2 dollars and and we're going to divert that to the federal thing here's the other thing they're going to top it up where does the money go well you know it's probably going to the you know the liberal campaign coffers well you know if you're cynical maybe you might think some of it might get there but they're quite Uh, They're they're really going on the offensive here. Uh, And I'm inclined to believe them because they're going to have so many people up their behinds with microscopes on this that I think we can trust them on this one thing Mm -hmm. Uh, that this money will all be funneled back to the provinces. So they're not even doing anything. Right. I just I I don't know. I really it, it's not I'm not bewildered here. I'm not, I'm not being naive about uh range of political voices and that some people are going to be opposed to this. I just feel like Brad Wall lost this fight so long ago. I'm just sort of like when are you? I don't know. I, I wonder I, if it, like is he going to try and like run for uh, uh, for prime minister next time around? Like I am just I'm wondering what his game is because they're at such a ridiculous disadvantage um, maybe this is still playing well with him within the province, but I feel like the, well, the federal it. government has so much more of an ability to have a microphone nationally that there's no way he's going to be able to out control them for, for message except for maybe in some really uninformed small sectors. Um, but within, but within, I don't know. I just, I wonder what his game
1: is yeah, within, well, I think within Saskatchewan, uh, I think it probably plays, you know, and and also I think it within, and if the goal is to, is to keep digging your heels in, um, and and you know what's interesting about that is, he, is is that he's sort of surrounded by places that are in the past. This has worked in the past. What he is doing has been the downfall of um, of national carbon price or national, really national climate change policy at all uh, has been successfully defeated entirely uh, by this uh, by this sort of we are the provinces, you cannot take our sovereignty kind of fight. Um, and and what's interesting is that, you know, that Trudeau has found this relatively way around that uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of interesting way by framing this as a if you do it that's fine all we will do is top it up um, and as a way to sort of ensure that you don't get that sort of opposition and Trudeau is, is in a pretty good situation given the political landscape uh, of the rest of the country he, 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 there happens to be a moment right now where a, a decent number of progressives exist across the country uh, and so he's, he's doing pretty well there as well um, and, and Bradwell is sort of you know is really playing for his his very specific fight. Yeah, so uh, we
0: just got about five minutes here left. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you in a moment your uh, recommended reading for the week uh, because we're not gonna get into, it's it's too expansive and I'm I'm not qualified to do a good job uh, reporting on it. So I'm simply gonna uh, give you your your recommended read of the week in a minute and I'll tell you what it's about uh, just quickly as well. Just mention another recommended read. I'm gonna mention it quickly, but I encourage you to go look at the story. Is just uh, uh, the the Dakota Access Pipeline, of course, with uh, being done by Energy Transfer uh, Partners, uh, has now found uh, eight violations uh for spills in seven weeks um during the the uh, now beginning um uh, construction of the pipeline uh what's really interesting about this story is um just how i i I imagine they're simply being empowered by trump and knowing that trump is uh is a shareholder (laughs) uh, with them uh but of essentially even the limited even with a a uh you know a a cloak and dagger type uh hater of the environment in charge of the EPA um some people there apparently still care about their jobs and are trying to say hey you know there's violations and they basically uh, Energy Transfer Partners is has just taken an attitude of basically we're above the law and has basically just buffed them at every turn. Uh, really interesting story. I think that's more of just a that's a story to watch, uh, especially as all the stuff uh, with the uh, possible impending impeachment of Donald Trump. Um, this uh, sort of just putting a bookmark in it that we're going to ha- I guarantee you will be coming back to this story um, because. uh there's very likely more to happen here, not just from the fact of what Energy Transfer Partner does, but I think with the connection to the Trump uh, story, there will this will continue to develop. So we're going to keep our eye on that. And then really quickly before we go here, uh, the recommended news item of the week, which uh, I'm not going to in- – even attempt to do a good job a because i'm just frankly not qualified uh and b because it, it's such a comprehensive and well-written report that if i was going to do it just uh, do it in any way any type of justice and pretend i knew what i was talking about i would essentially just be reading off the article so let's save everybody <laughs> everybody that your recommended read for the week is canada spies uh, colluding with the energy sector it's talking about the history of the CSIS and the rcmp uh tracking following implanting spies and uh, not, not only doing all of that uh, on First Nations groups in Canada, uh, specifically talking that this started around the Idle No More movement and that it's been pervasive and constant since then. Uh, but what's more is that due to access and information uh, of the uh, journalist here, uh, access of information request, uh, showing that the just the extent to which this information has actually been freely shared with private companies, essentially... In creating uh you might one way to look at it might be the essentially is that they've sort of deputized these companies to police themselves from a national security standpoint from a national security agency uh giving them access to all sorts of information that question arguably the should not even be taking in the first place surprise phone call there uh <laughs> but that is your encouraged article so i anyway i'm not going to get into it here the future is calling you the uh the <laughs> what what's uh, but yeah so anyway that is your that's your read for the week it'll be posted on the website it's called Canada spied Collusion with the energy sector uh, we've got a minute left last word is yours, stuff
1: amazing uh, I have so I spent the entire time being uh, relatively cheery, and I have perhaps the most depressing way to end the show uh, so I apologize uh, I think that the phone call you received actually was probably from reality uh, and f- from all of the for all of the the positive things that are moving forward uh, just I just saw this this tweet come out from the, it's an article from the Guardian about the world seed uh, the, the world seed bank that was created to protect all of our seeds uh, from uh, from from basically destruction and it literally just melt it just flooded because of uh, permafrost melts of permafrost melting so uh climate change still important ruining our seeds although the seeds were saved uh but the ability of the rock vault to provide fail-safe protection against all disasters is now threatened by climate change so yes even our underground bunkers are being attacked by climate change
0: that's it for the green majority this week if uh you're on the podcast we'll a couple days monday morning you'll have a bonus show other than that have a good week folks enjoy get outside if it's warm and uh we'll talk to you soon